This is Michael Easley in context. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote the letter to Rome, arguably his most doctrinaire book, writes some very practical instructions in the last half of the book. In chapter 13, he begins, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Passage we don't like to read. We don't like to think about following authority. Today in studio we have the privilege of having Chuck Gilliland. Chuck is the president of the National Board of Directors of the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers. Chuck, uh, is that an oxymoron, Christian peace officers? (laughs) Believe it or not, we hear it a lot. I get uh, emails. I bet you do. Constantly. Can a police officer be a Christian. Uh, there was a guy that wrote a book, and uh, I won't give his name or the book because the premise was military and police officers cannot be Christians. And mm. uh, tried to make a lot of arguments to prove his point. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I believe that every police officer should be a Christian. Of course, I believe every person should there be a go. Christian. You know, it's interesting in the New Testament, especially whenever we're dealing with a soldier, which would be an equivalent, I, I would argue, probably, first yes. century, uh, they are always in a good light in the yes. New Testament. They're men of faith. They understand authority. Christ's exchange with them is always a, in a positive light, but you don't hear much about that, do you? No. Um, I love the fact that he's critical of the Pharisees, but he is never critical of a single centurion. Of course, they were men of faith also. So, mm-hmm. Did you always want to be a cop? I did. My grandfather was a highway patrolman for Texas. And I remember as a little kid sitting around in his house. And his brother, uh, my uncle, was also a state trooper. And I, I remember them exchanging stories uh, and just could see the passion in their eyes. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, from a young age, that was the thing I always wanted to do. And I knew I was called to it. Now, I, when I was in high school, I felt very strongly the calling of the Lord but I didn't know at that time that you could be uh, called into law enforcement. I thought, gosh, is the Lord calling me to be a pastor? No, I'm, I'm not smart enough to be a pastor. Is he calling me to be a, a music leader? No, I, I can't sing a tune. So uh, my thought was, gosh, he must be calling me to be a youth pastor. And uh, that didn't turn out. So mm-hmm. went to college, uh, got into law enforcement and the criminal justice program at Charleston State University. And went to work for the Dallas Police Department. And it really wasn't till a couple of years after being a police officer that I realized that God had put me there for a reason. Mm. Uh, he gave me a ministry to law enforcement officers uh, at the time just in my area. Uh, but I've seen so many people that he's put a, a deep passion on their heart for law enforcement because we consider it an unreached people group. Only 10% of all law enforcement officers in the United States claim to be Christian. Interesting. I think back... In my times uh, younger when uh, I would need a police officer, uh, and the thought of someone coming to my house in my most critical time, maybe when I'm the most broken, when I need ministering to the most, would I rather have a Christian police officer who shows Christ's compassion and his grace and his mm-hmm. mercy, or would I just rather have somebody just there doing their job, going from one call to the next? Mm-hmm. So I truly believe that God has put police officers in a position of ministry. Mm-hmm. It's not just a passion of mine, but the board 
uh, with FCPO. Every one of the board members is, is deeply passionate about it. I'm so blessed to be a part of those guys. You say FCPO for those of us who can't keep up with acronyms, the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers. You're also an author. You've written two books, Through the Eyes of a Cop Ministry and the Gospel of Matthew Through the Eyes of a Cop. Yes, sir. Fun journeys? No. Mm. Truth of the matter is, um, I grew. I've got dyslexia, and I, I've I've got it pretty bad. Growing up in high school, I barely got out of high school. Uh, if it weren't for my grandmother, who was a, a teacher, coming over and tutoring me on a regular basis, I probably wouldn't have got through high school. But you wrote these books for a reason. You wrote them to help other officers, absolutely, in their day to day. When it's a domestic call, when it's a violence, when it's a, yes. an incident on a highway, uh, trauma internal politics with the police. I mean, you're touching a lot of these areas. Yes, sir. And that was the goal. And I've heard you mention this time and time again. I'm the little A author. We know who the big A author is. Uh, Not claiming that these books are gospel by any means. But it just goes to show that God does use the least of these to do some pretty good things. And I am definitely, when it comes to writing and reading and coming up with a book, I'm the least of these. So I can't claim any credit for it whatsoever. but But God's using it. Yes. Right. Came back from an FCPO board meeting where mm-hmm. we had discussed officers from all over the country calling up and, and saying, we need some material for law enforcement. Mm-hmm. We can do Bible studies, but we want something that relates. Specific, yeah. It just kind of went in one ear and out the other because when I'm listening to this, I know immediately it's not for me. Get back home to Texas. I was laying in bed about 1130 one night, about a week or two after I'd gotten back and the Lord put it on my heart. Uh, it clears a bell. You need to write something in a briefing format that a police officer can understand. And so I got up and I ran to the kitchen. I grabbed my pen and I started writing. Went back to bed. Ten minutes later, I got up, went to the kitchen, wrote some more. Went back to bed. And finally, my wife said, Would just just go in there and write. If the Lord's calling you to do something, just go in there and write. And let me okay. sleep. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So um, that was the beginning of it. And uh, as much trouble as I have writing and sometimes reading, it was an easy process because... Uh, I wasn't relying on myself. I wasn't leaning on my mm-hmm. own understanding. Good. So Let's talk a little bit about law enforcement from a number of levels. First of all, why would anybody today, young man or woman, why would they want to go into law enforcement? Uh, I don't believe they would. With the, the hindsight being twenty twenty, and people having weeks and weeks to dissect a decision that, that took you a half a second to make, the troubles that law enforcement find themselves in right now, officers being indicted for doing their job mm-hmm. and even some of the instances here recently that the officer after the investigation is done did the right thing He's exonerated but but there are still people in the community who want to see them prosecuted persecuted uh, hung well and and if we're thinking about ferguson in particular even though he's resigned as a police officer someone asked the question recently you know how does he get his reputation back how does he get a life of any kind? Right. We've talked about him at our workplace, too. And uh, I don't know a single person that ever believes he'll be able to work as a law enforcement officer again. Mm-hmm. If that was his passion and career, uh, he is done at an early age. Mm-hmm. I believe the pendulum will swing back. Mm-hmm. It always does. But it's it's a dark time right now. You said you were called to law enforcement for the average police officer, let's say, that doesn't have a relationship with Christ on a worldly level. Yes. Why do they do it? They want to catch bad guys. Is there a a high sense of justice inside them? Were they traumatized as a youth? What what are some of the reasons? I know some officers uh, who got into it for just the right reasons. I mean, they wanted to help Mm -hmm. people, and that was the end goal. 
And as a rookie cop, that's what most of them get into it for. Now, okay. it changes soon after the adrenaline dumps and chasing the bad guys. Back in the early 90s, there was a big stink about how some of the larger departments in the United States were recruiting people. Um, and Miami in particular, if you looked at their recruiting video, it was like Miami Vice. It was cops on speedboats and chasing people down in cars. Now, isn't that what you do every day? Absolutely with, with not. A $1,000 <laughs> suit and uh, you know, a couple of concealed weapons yes. and a little James Bond on top. Oh, and it looks great. But at the same time, if you contrast that one to the video or the promotion that New York City was putting out, New York's recruitment video had an officer walking a beat saying hi to everybody in his neighborhood. He knew everybody by their name. He was checking doors. He was the the friendly, approachable police officer, mm. the, the guy you could trust, the guy you depended on. And so there was this, this big contrast of which is the way to go. Well, I think it depends on what kind of officer you want mm. as to which way you recruit. And some guys get into it for the, the car chases. And We can look back on 9-11 and see uh, pre and post a lack of interest in the military, a lack of interest in patriotism. And then we saw this, this, this surge did not last very long. Most right. of our kids in high school today would not know 9-11. It was sort of a, arguably we would say our generation still remembers December 7th, 1941, right. but we don't know, you know 9-11, yeah, well, maybe we brought that on ourselves, maybe it was a conspiracy, on and on it goes. Um, that has to leak over into law enforcement in general, because you have men and women in uniform who are there to protect you when, whether it's a car accident, a DUI, someone breaking and entering, um, drug deals, all, mm-hmm. on and on and on. Right. Will it take something like a Ferguson and a New York situation and what's going to happen next? And somehow can that be turned to say, why don't we, and I don't mean reform the way we hear reform used, but to reform the ideal of this is a good and noble calling mm-hmm. to go help people. Right. About a week ago, our police chief came into a briefing and the topic had been Ferguson and how people hate us and on and on and the chief sat and listened for a minute and he's a very wise man i have a lot of respect for him and he said guys that is a small percentage of the population most of them love you most of them know what you're there for and as i go out through the day i've noticed more people recently stop me and say hey i really appreciate what you do thank Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. and uh, trying to keep a very stoic face because you know cops we are taught and trained to be in control at all times. Right. So, you know, you don't want to just gush and go, oh, man, really, right. really. Right. But it means an awful lot. Yes. But there's a lot of people out there that do appreciate it. Cops are, like I said, we're trained to be control freaks. We are taught from day one in police academy. Every time you go into a situation, you have to maintain control. And if you don't have it, you better get it pretty quick or you're going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. And that spills over into every aspect of our lives. And I do believe that that's why... I, we have such a low percentage of men and women who follow Christ because we're control freaks. It's hard to give that control over to Jesus Mm. in our lives. The corollary being a self-made man. I don't need that. Yes. If you're not maintaining control, you're weak. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we are a very macho centered profession. Even the women, women are, man, I know some pretty, some really tough cops. They're females, Mm -hmm. but we, we can't show weakness to each other. And that's a sad part about it. And I think that's part of our, our problem spiritually. What do you do ethically? Um, let's say you're dealing with some of the 10% who are Christ followers. They love the Lord and, and they're wearing a uniform and they're conflicted. Uh, and 
in any organization, you're going to have some corruption and some under-the-table things going on. Right. It's amplified because there's 18 television shows about police corruption yes. at any given time. And there's always under-the-table stuff, whether it's legal or the cop on the street. Right. So how, how do you help an officer in that situation? The temptation's there. The opportunity is daily, mm-hmm. whether it's drugs or money or whatever. Right. How do you help them? The same way Jesus sent his disciples out. Uh, you can't do it alone. Jesus sent his disciples out in twos. I firmly believe that in every law enforcement agency, especially where there's a, a Christian that, and I'm not pushing FCPO. I don't care what the organization is, but you, if, whether it's your local church, whether it's a different Christian police organization, you have to have some place where you can come together and fellowship, where you can lean on each other, uh, where you can be accountable to each other. One of the favorite verses we use is Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, and it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's incredibly hard to go out there by yourself as a Christian and try and John Wayne it, you know, mm-hmm. because uh, when you do get frustrated and, and you do get down, you need somebody to talk to. And typically police officers, even the 10%, don't go to church. So we have to provide that for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what FCPO does, tries to help establish an organization within a local city or town mm-hmm. where other guys from other agencies can come in and can be that iron that sharpens each other mm-hmm. can it be the accountability group in your career you were faced with temptations you were Absolutely. faced with bribes and how did that happen to you what did you do god has blessed me with a shallow brain i think because <laughs> uh there there'll be a lot of times where i'll look back on something and realize oh my gosh that person was really trying to give me something but at the time it just whew, right over right over my head you know and, I, and I, I do believe that that that's a gift from the lord not to uh to be looking it i think it depends on what your focus is a lot but to an officer who's who's facing that it, it is tough i can tell you when i was with dallas there was one time in particular where my partner and i got called to a loud music call which was uh in the part of dallas we worked at was a very low priority call we show up, a girl comes to the door in a negligee, and we're both married, young, uh, newlyweds looked at each other, and we're like, uh-oh, we are in trouble. She wanted us to come in and talk to us. There was no loud music. Uh, left. She called back the next day, wanting us to return, uh, and I knew. I went home confessed to my wife that I did nothing, but here's what's going on. Mm-hmm. This is not good. I've always thought of myself, and I hated it when I was younger. I was a little naive to things that go on around me. Uh, but again, like I said, as I grew up and grew older, I don't know if that's not a gift from the Lord mm-hmm. because I can't really recall a lot of situations, especially lately uh, in the last 10 years or so, where anybody has ever tried to bribe me on a traffic stop. or mm-hmm. um, And maybe the Lord knows that I'm such a weak-willed person that he's afraid I'd give in so he doesn't want to tempt, <laughs> you know, allow me to be tempted with that. So, Or maybe but, he's uh, equipped you to be able to smell it and uh, not get pulled into it. Yes, I would hope so. I would hope that people could see integrity and know that, man, if I try this, I'm going to get in trouble. But I can't say that's what it is. I'm just wishful thinking. There are no simple answers. But when we look at Ferguson, New York, other cases that have been and will be in the media and are, let's say, overinflated, at least from a a public standpoint, we're going to align racially. If I'm an African-American in a community, I'm going to align with with my people. Mm -hmm. If I'm wearing blues, I'm going to align with my people. Right. How do you deal with the tension? The first thing that crossed my mind in Ferguson was that we had white uh, patrol officers in an African-American neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So you know, automatically it's polarizing. Right. And believe it or not, we get some of those politics within the department because uh, 
I don't know of a single department that doesn't have a racial mixture of officers. But I made sure right after all this was over that, and, and my shift knows this, but we've reiterated it time and time again. Guys, when we get in a car and we go out there, we're blue. We're not white. We're not black. We're not brown. We're blue, and we have to be blue. When you get off shift and you go home and you take the blue off, you can be whatever you want. But we can't afford to be anything other than blue when we're at work. Um, and, again, maybe just being naive, uh, we've had no racial problems at least on my shift, I can't speak for every department everywhere, obviously. But it's not something that I've seen within the department. I'm sure the officers have feelings, uh, opinions about what goes on. But it seems to be there's enough respect when we get to work that we don't talk about it. When the officer in Ferguson got acquitted, you know, the off- white officers weren't all screaming, you know, going, yeah, he got off, you know, because I know, and other officers know how that's going to make some of the the black officers feel, and vice versa. They're very respectful, uh, and we've got to be a family. And, and it's easier to be a family when there's there's not the conflict going on, when there's not a Ferguson, mm-hmm. and there's not a New York. Then it's easy to be family and be blue and back each other. And if and if the bad guy, quote unquote, is really a bad guy, we all agree is a bad guy. It's a little different when we have a a shooter in a school, mm-hmm. when you have something like that. You know, you're going to have obviously the aftermath coaches talk about history and sociology and yes. background and those type of things but in the in when we when we identify evil as evil doesn't seem like it matters no. what color it is no it'd be nice if the entire world was black and white yeah. like that uh, truth and non-truth when you look at the uh, average church in the country how can they be a supportive of those in authority how can they also be wise knowing that not every person that wears a uniform is necessarily a good person with integrity right but yet, as I read Paul's passage, a submission to authority is the beginning. Mm-hmm. And my father said, you say yes, sir, and no, sir. And you say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. And you do what they tell you to do. Right. And it's probably going to go a lot better than Absolutely. if you have attitude. But we've lost that in this self-promotion culture. Yes. I've got 17 and 15-year-old uh, wonderful children. But they grow up different. The culture's different. The, Very different. The social media, immediate access to to all kinds of opinions you know growing up if you wanted an opinion you turn the tv on to one of three channels and that right. was it you know uh, and you got the media that they they gave you now there's there's opinions coming from every direction you can find an opinion that agrees with you and that does tend to make it harder uh, because when you talk about authority if you find an opinion that agrees with you and it came from a national media you think you're right and you think that's your truth and it's just like you say don't let the world teach you theology you've got to you got to be anchored in the truth there was a a bit part on the media sometime this past year where a police officer was throwing a football with a kid in a neighborhood yes and it kind of made a little bit of a splash it's like you know on the one hand I'm, I'm, that's great but i can also hear his his ceo going what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> throwing a ball around a kid. you know you, yeah. you can't win you can't no. for trying but but at least there was a community effort there this guy's a good guy yes. and he's here to help you if something goes wrong yeah. and especially in the dicey neighborhoods where drugs are so prevalent yeah. if if there are a handful of kids that maybe their mother's saying don't get into drugs don't yeah. don't have sex before you're married and yes. they're trying to stem the tide in that little community and there's a guy there in a blue uniform or a gal and i'm here to help yeah and I think that's fantastic. I personally don't see a problem with that. Although, like you said, there's going to be some that go, that is not your job. What yeah. are you doing? But 
to build relationship with the people you work in and with and mm-hmm. for is paramount. I like the old community policing days and where you rattled doors at night to make sure the doors were locked mm-hmm. and you knew everybody in your area. But nowadays, officers jump in a car and it seems like they go from call to call to call. And the only time they meet people uh, is when they've called for police. They've either lost control and they need the police to regain control. Uh, they're having a, a really bad day. Percentage of calls in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area of a domestic problem? Luckily, at DFW Airport, we have no residents. So okay. our domestics are few and far between. Uh, Would you say nationally, is that still the number one reason for yes. a police call? Yes. Domestic? Uh, number one call for violence. I mean, I, I would imagine that ranks number one in just about every category. Mm-hmm. Potential for violence, whether it's the officers getting hurt, or family members getting hurt, the number one reason most people go to jail, or at least it was in my experience at Dallas. We went to jail probably twice a night, uh, which now that I'm at the airport and look back on it, I'm like, how in the world? It, it seemed like community policing at the time was putting your community in jail. But I worked in a really rough area of town, but we were I mean, it was just to jail, to jail, to jail. Uh, but yeah, family violence was always our number one. Chuck, if um, someone's listening to you and me and they've got a friend who's a, a police officer, what would you say is the best way to minister to that person they know? I would continuously invite him or her to your church. Getting them in a place where they can hear the truth is the absolute best thing. It's what we all need. If you can get them into a local law enforcement ministry, I think it's even better mm-hmm. because law enforcement's kind of a closed community. We get to where we're very untrusting of the people that we serve. You're taught to be suspicious of everyone. Yes. And usually in a, in a typical day, the people that we come across are violators. If 99% of the population are non-violators, we don't see that 99%. Mm. But if you see that 1% day in and day out, you get to where your perspective is everybody's a violator. That's the only kind of person I come across. Mm. So we become a closed society. We won't confide in anybody else except another police officer because they know how I feel. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can understand me. So that's why it's so important to have police officers who are out sharing the gospel, the good news with other police officers because they'll listen to another police officer. Mm -hmm. But if you've got a friend and you're not an officer, get them to church, get them somewhere where they can hear the truth. And most of all, pray for them. Pray that God will soften their hearts because we are a hard-hearted, uh, stiff-necked group. Mm. We really are. And in in some way, you kind of have to be. Yes. Right? Defensive You've got to have a tough yeah. hide. You've got, as you said, be in control. Mm-hmm. What about the police officer, the man or woman who knows Christ, but they're way far away from him? I've been there, too. The Lord called me back in 2005, but I had 10 years before that where I was trying to be the tough guy. I was trying to, you know, I thought I was super cop and, and I would pray, but my prayer would be, God, let me be the hammer of your justice. Let me find the bad guy. And, uh, so it was, uh, it was not, I don't believe that was even a sincere prayer. It was just, you know, my way of, well, I still need to keep in contact with the Lord. Yeah. But the officer that knows Christ, but is far away from him bringing them back to the truth, praying for them. And Romans chapter 13, if you can just share that with them and bring them back, because I know for law enforcement, we like to use that as all of you non-law enforcement out there need to obey authority. Mm -hmm. But you know what? We're under authority. We're men and women under authority. And a lot of times we don't use the same measuring rod on ourselves and our lives. Uh, But we have authority, and our authority is Jesus Christ. 
uh, and we need to be submissive to him. So prayer, prayer, prayer. Also, one of the big things I think police officers lack, uh, especially ones that have fallen away, is knowing that we lose sight of where our hope and where our peace comes from. Because police officers on their days off don't have a lot of hope and they don't have a lot of peace. They get very calloused. I think telling them that Christ and God's word will bring you back to hope and bring you back to peace, mm-hmm. and that's the only way you're going to get it, uh, may be a good start. Chuck Gilliland, president of the National Board of Directors at the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officer. Chuck, thanks for being with us today. You've got some events coming up. Yes. April 10th, you've got a golf tournament in Chattanooga. Yes, sir. And then July 24th to 26th. Our national conference, which will be in Ridgecrest, North Carolina. We're lining up some really good speakers. It is going to be fantastic. Great place for police officers to get together and share with each other, share their problems, and become iron that sharpens iron. Encourage. And then Elkhart, Indiana, October 2nd. Yes, sir. Breaching the Barricade with Jim Bontrager. Uh, This is the 21st year, and it is a law enforcement appreciation uh, for law enforcement and their families to come out spend some good peaceful time with each other you've got information on the site for how to find out more about chuck chuck gilliland thanks again for being on in context it's my pleasure